Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. And we're rolling. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. It's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you in the area, you'll be happy to know that yesterday, at the time of this recording, yesterday was June 21st, I believe was the longest day of the year. Yes. swelteringly hot. Yes. And uh, your days will only get shorter until Christmas. Oh, thanks, Matt. Of course. Boy. What a... It felt longest day, too. It was just so... Hot. It yep. was so hot. Yeah. yeah yep. That ain't right. Yep. You thought you thought summer was just getting started. Summer's already halfway done. We're just getting shorter from here on out. Matt, yeah. so depressing. <laughs> what? Do you want it to be shorter? You want life to be shorter, or a day to be the shorter? Just I, get just, to it? I just want people to put things into perspective. Oh, that's good. You know, that's good. I am rolling my eyes. Y'all can't <laughs> see it, but I am rolling my eyes. All right, let's get into it. So Annie, you have a, a a thought. What's your what's your question? Yeah. So I was. Um, is there ever an appropriate time to ghost somebody? Mm-hmm. And and did G? I mean, are there, are there any examples of like Jesus having had to do that for reasons? I mean, I'm. Yeah, I don't know. So explain the context. Co- explain the context. Yes. What kind of ghosting? And what does that all mean? Right. So traditionally, you know, ghosting would be just a failure to respond to somebody. Mm-hmm. And and in most cases, I feel like this is a really cowardly, uh, you know, way to ha- handle mm-hmm. things, particularly like in a dating scenario. Um, you know, I had a friend who was just telling me how, you know, just talking to a guy, met online, t- they're exchanging messages for two weeks. They go to set up a, a date or whatever and just then ghosts her completely. Mm. Um, you know, I think that would be an appropriate typical male. Well, I mean, women do it too, but you know, the, I I think that the the appropriate response would be, "Hey, I'm no longer interested. Sorry," yeah. or, um, I I met somebody else that I would like to pursue. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I think there's just a a more responsible and, you know, just a less cowardly way to handle things. But yeah. I don't want to name names, <laughs> but um, someone I know uh, has this girl kind of pursuing him. Yes. And um, she's being a little aggressive. Yeah. And he's like, I'm just ghosting her. Mm. I, I can't like I, I've, I've said no. I've tried to, yeah. you know, give her the stiff arm a little bit and, you know, pace the conversation in such a way. And she's just kind of. Yeah. relentless and yeah. so he's like i'm just i just have to she even was talking about coming over to his house mm-hmm. um yeah uninvited and without warning that's very sweet <laughs> <laughs> how romantic i i think it's interesting how you pose the question you know, is it is that ever the christian thing to do to go somebody I, I do think there it was part of kind of um christian virtues and want to have courage. Courage used to be a, a virtue that we really held up in our culture and especially in Christianity, and we taught that as a virtue. Humility is one, and courage is one, and and uh, we don't teach that anymore as as something that we really 
hold up. You know, if things are if things are getting hard, you know, find the easy way out. And we we almost we foster that in the in 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 so many different ways. Well, you don't want to have a hard time. You don't want it to be too difficult. You know, you got to take care of yourself, self care, all that kind of stuff. And I know times where I've taken the easy road out and and not face conflict, and it never gets better. And so I think this is just one area where we really need to go back to some classic Christian virtues of courage as part of a healthy society to confront people in a loving way. You don't, it's about the issue. It's not about the person, but to teach people to, well, I, what I mean about the issue is like, you don't have to make it personal. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but like, I'm not, this is not working for me. I'm not, I'm, I'm thinking about a dating situation. You don't have to like personally attack the person. Right, right, you can, right. You can say it in a way that... It's not you, it's me. Whatever it is, yeah. That's, <laughs> but I've, I mean, I've had to do that with people sure. also, um, you know, because I, I feel like having a direct conversation such as, okay, you're, you're being a little too, yeah. you know, aggressive or, or right. even in a friendship scenario or, you know, a non-romantic scenario. And I've, I've, I've stopped responding. Sure. And that brings up another point, like who, what kind of person are you dealing with? Well, that's right, right. Right. If you're, I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast, I continue to find so much value in what Henry Cloud, the Christian counselor, talks about using the book of Proverbs. He says, there are three general types of people. There's a wise person, unwise person, and evil. And a wise person is not necessarily somebody who's smart, but somebody who like gets the point or recognizes consequence. Like, oh, it has some self-awareness. Like, yes, I did yes. this wrong. You told me I was wrong. I'm done. I, I, I'll, I'll change. That's a wise person. So if you're dealing with a wise person and you're not confronting them, like, that, that is on you. Like, mm-hmm. if this person, mm-hmm. you just you don't want an uncomfortable conversation, you don't want it to be awkward, that is on you. You should go tell them and say, you know what, this isn't working, or I don't like what you did, or, you know, this really hurt my feelings. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. having that adult having the courage to have an adult conversation and, and have a, 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 some honest conflict is good. Mm-hmm. If you are dealing with a foolish person, the way Henry Cloud talks about foolish, this is a person who doesn't get it. Like you can say on and on, like, this isn't working. You, I don't like what you're doing. You can't keep doing this. And no matter what you say, they're not listening anymore. So then you do need to talk about consequences. And maybe it is a, I just want to let you know, I'm not going to respond to your texts anymore. Mm. I just want to let you know, I'm not responding this anymore. This is, it's, our talking is not working anymore. So maybe even in that case, you could have a Set conversation boundary, and yeah. let them know, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm not responding. And I will continue to not respond. Uh, so they can see the consequences. Because a foolish person, according to Henry Cloud, is somebody who doesn't listen to talking anymore. Mm. And they will only listen if they feel some pain. Then he talks about a third category of people who are evil. And what he means by that is these are people who are intentionally trying to control the situation, Mm -hmm. who are intentionally Mm -hmm. trying to ruin your life. And hopefully this is a small percentage of the population, and we should be very slow to put people in that category. But if they continue to, like, you can see, like, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. They are trying to ruin my life. They're trying to control me. They are trying, and they'll use pity or or pain or whatever they can to keep their control over me. Now you need to start being more aggressive in the sense of, you know, in drastic situations, maybe I need a restraining order. Maybe I need to call the cops. Maybe I need to get a lawyer. I need to get 
away from this situation as fast as possible because interacting with them whatsoever, whether it's consequences or talking or whatever, is just going to lead to them having more control mm-hmm. over me. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be careful. So yeah, I think who you're dealing with has a big issue. That's yeah. good. I'm going to take this information okay. back to back to this person. Do you think it's okay? I mean, what do you guys think about that? It really depends on who you're dealing I, with. I think so. And, and for your own benefit and health and, you know. What do you think, Matt? Give them a couple of strikes. And then you just, and then you got to be like, all right, I'm going to stop responding or block them or whatever. Yeah. But it is a gut check. Is, is it you? Are you, are you giving yourself into a, you know, turning yourself into a coward? And I think that's something we all need to learn from again, myself included. We need to become more resilient, stronger people who are not always avoiding hard things. Uh, are you making this decision because it's the wise decision to st- it's not helping to talk to this person anymore it's not helping to engage with them anymore or are you making this decision to ghost somebody because you're not strong enough to have a difficult conversation right right and i think you know we we see and hear of that a lot and i i think it's very poor yeah so i think anything we can instill i mean i always think how to apply this to our kids i want to apply i want our kids to to learn to be strong and resilient and, you know, to be independent. And all right, if you're having a hard time with somebody at school or if you have something that's really challenging, to, to do the hard thing, uh, even when it's uncomfortable, to not always take the easy road out. Sometimes, though, it's it's wise to not deal with some people who are just not getting it. Yeah. That's so, good. That's helpful. Yeah. So I th- it's interesting when you label things Christian, Man, but I do think the technology again. We do things in our in our with technology that we would never do in person. So if the person right, was right, right in the room or our neighbor right. or somebody we had to work with, we would be forced to confront them or talk to them or have a conversation. When it comes to if it's only a digital relationship where we've only exchanged emails or text. It's really easy to not respond to those things and to give an excuse like, oh, I didn't see it or I wasn't, didn't, you didn't have time or, um, you know, didn't know what to do about that. And that, I think, um, can also lead to us being more weak and less courageous is because it's an easy thing to not respond to a text. Like when I try to text Matt and he says his, his phone doesn't work, right? Works like, every time. Yeah. Oh, my, for some reason, my phone doesn't get your yeah. text. Just you, though. Yeah, I yeah. get it. No. Ghosted. That's true. Ghosted. True. <laughs> what about a situation where, um, let's say you have a let's say you have a friend or a family member, whoever, who is is upset with you or is arguing with you on a certain issue, mm. and maybe they bring it up a lot, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just once, but they, you know, and you don't doubt that they're a smart, self-aware person, and, but you think, I mean. It's t- it's tough to just be like, well, this person is unwise because you might, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you think, well, it's better for me just not to talk to you for for a while now. Mm-hmm. But but who can say? Maybe you're the person who's avoiding that conflict. Maybe you just think they're being kind of relentless, or I don't know. I mean, where where do you draw the line? Because it's not always that the person is is just not getting it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're really passionate about something and it's coming off as sort of incessant, mm-hmm. irritating. They want to like really argue this with you. And I mean, when you are, you are going to kind of walk away, mm-hmm. 
you know, because eventually you're like, all right, this isn't worth my time or I don't want to fight this with you. Yeah. But, but do you say that? I mean, I've had conversations yeah. where I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. Like yeah. I've said to people, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. And, and to me, that almost suggests a lack of self-awareness. Like if, if you're, if you're go- carrying on about something and it's very evident that the other person is not engaging with you and you continue, I mean, that seems unwise. Yep. I think. Stephen Covey's uh, classic book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said the first effective habit is you're not passive, but you're um, you're proactive. And so if you have a stimulus, something that happens, like this person, whatever, being rude or it's not working or whatever it is, they're unkind, having that self-awareness, like, all right, this is what happened. Now I'm going to choose my reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to... I'm going to have that self-awareness and I'm going to choose the best way to respond. And I'm going to imagine the best case scenario. So I want to have a conversation and maybe I say to this person, you know what? This isn't working anymore. I'm not going to respond. It may feel like I'm ghosting you. I am just choosing to not speak to you because it's not helping anymore. I think you have to practice that self-awareness. Why am I doing this? Is it because I'm scared? That's probably, that's not a good enough reason. In, in the sense of I'm, I'm, I'm scared of a challenging conversation. Obviously, right, if you're right, any right. kind of physical danger. danger or anything like that, like that, that's a, a good response. But is this a legitimate fear, or I just it's going to be uncomfortable? So you need to practice self uh, self awareness, which is hard. But I, I think that's why that book is such a classic, is because especially the current generation, we we don't want to take responsibility. We we feel like everything. Everything that's happened to me is outside of me. This person is is causing all my problems. Everybody else, we don't want to take any responsibility. And so you you have to start with that, taking responsibility. So I think it's a good, good because it happens a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in various circumstances, like I said, romantic, non-romantic, you know, like it, it happens. And there's nothing a person can do usually when you're getting ghosted because, again, it's a a digital relationship. They can block you digitally. They can, uh, and so you can't really figure out what is exactly going on. Yeah, I just think it's selfish. Now you've got this other person kind of hanging. Yeah, right. And without any explanation, and then they're left to, you know, say, what did I do kind of thing. And so it is the loving thing to if you can if you're dealing with a rational person to just be honest even if it's uncomfortable yeah mm-hmm. good very good anything else on that i don't think Not so me this kind of leads into the next discussion and we've maybe mentioned this on the past but in this glad you asked sermon series we're going to be talking about divorce and when is it okay to get a divorce and and the the scripture is really clear that if your spouse was unfaithful to you um they've already ended the marriage and so Jesus says, you know, if you you should not divorce except for unfaithfulness. And all of a sudden, if somebody has been unfaithful, you know, it's a very clear they 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 did that. I have a reason for divorce. I think when it gets a little trickier is when you're in an unhappy marriage and you're wondering why am I unhappy. Um, well, happiness is not always the goal, and you're going to have challenging times in in your marriage, right? And just because you're unhappy or it's difficult doesn't give you a reason to divorce. But then there are those times, and we throw around these words a lot, so we have to be careful, when you are dealing with somebody who is 
narcissistic or or abusive verbally. You know, you can't really point to a bruise but on your arm or anything, but there is a control factor that's really making it unbearable. Um, so I don't know if you guys have had experience of people who've been in relationships when they're married or with somebody who is completely controlling. Um, what what have you seen in that those situations? Uh, how do Christians respond, and is that okay to go through the process of separation, divorce, if you're in that situation? Yeah, I think it's a, like you said, kind of tricky because there's, uh, it's not maybe a hard, fast line like to draw. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can think of a handful of people that I know who, um, one person in particular just got out of a long-term relationship, and it was kind of like you know she could she likes to be out and with mm-hmm. her friends and doing things and being active and he didn't really like that as much he was more homebody type but then like would almost like punish her if she mm-hmm. you know so he didn't want to do it but then he'd get mad mm-hmm. if she did it right um so right there you're looking at like just incompatibility i right. think you know um they they were not married but again long long term yeah so i think that's the question, right? Is this just an incompatibility thing? And when you get married, you're saying, till death do us part, you know, in goodness or good times and bad times, rich or poor, sickness and health, I'm going to be committed to you. The, the part that I've seen, and I've, I've seen this in a number of cases, we're talking a lot of cases, um, where you start asking more questions and this happens sometimes it's the female, but m- most often I've seen it, it the husband, um, where there is intentional, vindictive mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. And he's, usually they're very smart, mm-hmm. very well put together. Lots of times they'll be you know, leading in church or attending church, and, mm-hmm. you, and they give the whole presentation to everybody on the outside that they have everything put together. And yet, you read text messages or you see things, evidence that this person will use anything for one reason only, and that's control. They'll use counseling, couples counseling. They'll come in, they'll say all the right things, um, but they'll never actually take responsibility Mm -hmm. for their actions. But they will use everything to control their spouse. So sometimes they'll use pity. Oh, that was the last time. I'm never going to do that. And then once they get them back... um, then there's com- lockdown, isolating you from your family, yes. mm-hmm. uh, taking you away from any kind of support system, and the only everything is for one purpose, and that is control. Uh, you know the term maybe this is overused, but it's used a lot. The idea of gaslighting mm-hmm. came from that movie Gaslight, where the person was making their spouse feel like they were going insane. And I've heard of cases where after the divorce happened. Uh, the the husband came back and he said, "Yeah, I was trying to do that. I was I, I was telling you different stories to try to get you to believe that you were you were going insane." And so when you have that kind of what we said in the previous segment, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's actually evil. They're wicked. They're actually intentionally trying to control or hurt. I do believe that 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 person has broken the marriage vow. Uh, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we were called to peace and a Christian is not bound in cer- in those kind of circumstances, that's what he's talking about. Um, we sometimes call it malicious desertion. 
Uh, but I do believe that's grounds for divorce. If, it, if you see it as this pattern that's not changing and there it, it's in complete control. Now, the hard thing is not, I've seen really good pastors who have a very high view of marriage and God's word who have not seen the danger in that and have put more burden on the spouses to stay in such circumstance. I get the impulse because, you know, what God has joined together, let no one separate, Jesus says in Matthew 19. But we also put in a, a, a burden on the spouse who's in an abusive situation that they can't get out of. What is the, um, aside from maybe a loss of identity or... What are the what are the repercussions of of the victim in this situation of the, of the spouse that's being gaslit? Like, is, I mean, are there is there suicide? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, if they stay in the marriage or if they get yeah, out? Yeah, if they stay in. I mean, I I think there are so many things both sides. It makes it so hard. First of all, if you stay in, you continue your world continues to get smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. smaller because the control gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm not a psychologist or a therapist to, to really you know, understand all, but just my experience is, as being a pastor that the cage that this spouse puts their, their, their victim in gets smaller and smaller and mm-hmm. smaller until you don't even know who you are anymore. Right. You, you don't, you don't have a will anymore. You don't have autonomy anymore. You don't have a sense of purpose anymore. Your only purpose is to be controlled. And that's kind of the goal. Uh, so, so that was what makes can make it so hard to break out of. Even people who've walked away from these kind of situations, the the manipulation has been so strong they don't. It takes a long time for them to come to a sense of identity, a sense of you know. There's so much guilt and shame, and the Bible has been used so much to kind of keep control that there, it takes such a long time to crawl out from that shame. Mm-hmm. And and so I was talking to a therapist, uh, just asking the question: If I'm working with a a person is going through this, what do I do? How do I help them? And she recommended help the person take autonomous steps in their life. Help them see that they can make decisions on their mm-hmm. own, that they can take the kids to grandma and grandpa's house, that they can maybe um, you know, just make little decisions so that they can remind themselves, oh, wait, I have a will. I'm capable. I'm yeah. capable. Yeah. I have some uh, autonomy. Uh, so that was really helpful. So I've tried to do it in the different cases I've worked in, uh, but it it it's very hard. So there's re- also the pain is really hard, but they understand that pain. Uh, so a lot of times they stay in this unhealthy marriage because the pain of leaving. What does that mean? I've been told I can't do anything on my own. I've been told I can't I, I can't raise these kids on my own, or I can't live without this person. So I believe that. And so to leave is even scarier uh, than stay in that controlling situation because they don't know how to function. Uh, they don't think they can function without that other person. And then the shame now now it becomes public. What are people going to think of me? I'm divorced, or what? you know, all that kind of stuff is just so hard. But the, those who have gone through it and have gotten some freedom, I've also seen them flourish. Not that life is necessarily easy, but they they are able to flourish after that. Um, it's really hard. It's really hard. Well, I think it's just really gross too, because like the the predator in, in this situation, mm-hmm. the the victim mm-hmm. is often probably a reasonable person who yeah. um, is trying to compromise maybe with their spouse. So when the when the when the spouse says, "Well, you know what you did really hurt me," well, a normal reasonable person would say, "Well, I'm going to try not to do that again." Yeah. And so they kind of the the 
the narcissist in this case will take that and run with it yes. and just use it to control. And so it, it's not supposed to be that way. Right. You know, like people are supposed to compromise in, in a marriage, in a relationship. So it's just really unfortunate. It's using all of those things, yeah. those good things for their own really advantage. Gross. And then, you know, so then they, it, it just takes, we talked about this in a previous podcast, you know, uh, uh, how, the power of small groups. You need other Christians and family members and, and people around you who understand that dynamic that can help them reprogram their brain to look at reality because they haven't seen reality in so long. They think everything is their fault. They think there's so much guilt and shame. They, they can't make decisions on their own um, because they were always yelled at when they made a decision. And, and it, it, there was always arbitrary. They didn't know what what thing was they were going to get yelled at next. So they, they just have this uh, inability to trust themselves anymore. And so to help that kind of person to rebuild a sense of, again, trust in them, their own actions, their own capabilities, um, yeah, to have reasonable conversations where, yeah, maybe I did something wrong and I'll change and that's fine instead of everything I do is wrong. Yeah. So I guess having seen this happen so many times and having seen the church respond in a unhelpful, I believe, unbiblical way mm-hmm. uh, to keeping them trapped, uh, I do want to give encouragement to victims in any these kind of really hard dynamics to, to have sense of courage and, um, and community and that they're not alone and it's going to be okay. It's gonna, probably going to get harder before it gets easier, but to make some of these hard decisions, uh, which I believe will lead to some good because it's not okay to be live a life that you're completely controlled by somebody who's wickedly trying to control you. Not designed that way. No, we're not designed that way. So that that's kind of unpopular for a pastor to say it because, you know, the Bible does talk so highly of marriage. It's on the second page of the Bible. God institutes marriage. It's a gift of God. What God is doing together, no one separate. But again, that gets used by the narcissist or the control in person to mm-hmm. say, see, God's on my side. Mm-hmm. And oh man, there's, mm-hmm. if you start using God to justify your sin, that's a scary thing. It's almost impossible to, to get out of, you know? Yeah. So what do you think, Matt? Uh, not, not too well versed on the topic. <laughs> not too well versed. The, the only thing I can think of is, um, uh, yeah, to, to tie in, to, to tie in with some previous things we've talked about is, um, I guess don't like don't ever make one person everything in your life, mm-hmm. and so I guess when you're when you're uh, my assumption because again I I'm not married I can't prove any of this but um, either even if you're just dating somebody we we've all seen that relationship where it could be a control thing or even if it's not and they just spend every minute together Ugh. they both just start getting weird. <laughs> Yeah, like you lose a friend because suddenly they got a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah. well, now I don't ever see you. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And and like everyone on the outside can see it's ridiculous. And so don't downplay that. You know, don't treat someone like everything. Be yeah. sure to have other friends and other smart, wise people around you yeah. that you can, you know, talk to separately from either, I guess, your spouse or your significant other. Yeah. Um, but just keep a very wide base of support around you and don't don't ever put everything on one person to be your savior in life your identity yeah yeah don't make that one person your identity i think also too matt you know if you this is not a bad thing to share with people as they're like they are if they are looking for a spouse or you know relationship or whatever to like 
ask those questions like, are there any red flags here with me or some a friend of mine who's dating somebody? You know, are there some red flags that this person is not just unwise, but they are actually controlling? And unfortunately, what I've seen in a lot of cases is they don't let that out until the merit, you know, like until it's too late, until you've already. Well, yeah. why would you? You'd right. never you'd never date the person if you saw right. the red flags, yeah. you know, there was a. I think her name is. Lobert, I think is her name. She wrote a book. She was actually, um, she had a, she, I think she still has a, a organization called Hookers for Jesus. <laughs> and she was, she was a, a hooker in Las Vegas. And she tells her story about being pimped. And at first, this guy, like, he did everything for her. He flowers every day and just was patient and loving and kind and he played this game yeah and then then you have this time where he broke her right and that's really common and she writes about the control and getting pimped and unfortunately it kind of tells this story that that i've seen over and over not you know not that it's the same characteristics a pimp has that same characteristic of the narcissist controlling kind of person oh that's what led her into into prostitution yeah that he pimped her then he then he let her and he made her do this and that's you know the highest level i think of control is to make some you know make somebody use you for for those ways but i i think what i felt so helpful with her book was it kind of laid out a timeline or, or kind of a profile as to how this can happen what kind of person does this and that it's not your fault. Uh, if, if you find yourself in this situation, these people are really wise and know exactly what they're doing. And to not, you know, put all this guilt on yourself, like, why didn't I see this coming? Or, you know, why didn't I, why wasn't I more aware? Mm-hmm. Because they know exactly what they're doing. And so uh, don't let that kind of guilt hold you to this, this really unhelpful and evil situation be, because they know what they're doing. One yeah. of my favorite quotes is from BoJack Horseman, which is a cartoon show on Netflix. It's an adult cartoon show, but um, the quote is something to the effect of when you're wearing rose colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Oh, that's good. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love that quote. We talked about the euphoria of romance in the beginning and how much you need that to be in a health, you know, actually make the big decision of committing your life to this other person. But sometimes that can also you know, you also miss some of these yeah, red flags. So just want to support people who are in really tough situations and hopefully the Christian church will continue or be that kind of refuge for truth and wisdom and hope in really challenging situations. Okay. I think that's enough on that. Matt, you, do you remember what you want to talk about? Yes. Okay. I do. <laughs> um, so oftentimes you hear people say things like they had an experience mm-hmm. in which they felt the presence of God, or sometimes when we're at church and it's like, oh, I feel God is in this room the with Holy us. The Holy Spirit or the something. The Holy Spirit is yeah. in this room with us. Um, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced God? Mm-hmm. You know, should are there times people say that and we should be a little skeptical? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what are your thoughts? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I think, especially um, 
conservative Lutheran the- theologians have been very, very wary of anyone who says that because of all of the charlatans and people who have used that to manipulate. Um, so the knee-jerk reaction, I think, from our tradition is that person just either is making it up or they're pushing something or they're putting their faith where it doesn't need to be. Um, God only wants to reveal himself through the written word of God. Um, and I I get that. I think that's probably a good way to respond to almost all the cases because it does seem like if God is doing that, he's sure isn't doing that very often. Um, and the clearest answer is through the is is him revealing himself in the written word. Paul says, what is this in Colossians? I can't remember where he writes this. He says, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. I think that's probably the best answer. Do not despise prophecy, but test the spirits, he says. And so if somebody says they had this clairvoyant experience or whatever, this spiritual experience with God, felt the presence of God, um, test the rest of their theology and what they're saying about God, and does that match up with Scripture? Because we do believe there are real devils, too, and demons that they also could be at work. And the Bible describes the devil as an angel of light uh, that masquerades, or masquerades as an angel of light. So, what do you mean by experience? Like, you know, I've mentioned before, my adult baptism was really something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about like you got a vision or something. Yeah, like like what are you talking about then? Well, I mean, I was, I'm just talking about like. I mean, people, I think people do this in church all the time. Like it could be like a really moving song Mm -hmm. and it's like, is that just emotions Mm -hmm. or is the Holy Spirit using those to bring you closer to the meaning of what, you know, the truth of this that's in the song or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, but I, I hear people say that all the time. One of the songs that we sang is like, I, um, uh, what is it like? I feel there's a miracle in this room, or yeah. something like that, you know. Or I can basically, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel God moving among us in this mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. and it's like, is God at work? Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you can feel Him though? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think you're right. As Lutherans, we're like super scared to first of all engage with our emotions. Um, <laughs> we don't do that, um, but yeah, that does, especially you. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's all Lutherans, though, let's be honest. <laughs> we're just not emotional people. And we're really scared of saying things like, we just, we don't, I think we're, we just don't know what the Holy Spirit is. And so we just avoid him. Because we're like, we don't know. It's like, we don't want to say we feel the Spirit of God moving because then we sound like hippie Pentecostals, <laughs> you know, which we're not. Thank goodness. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, right, you know, right. Oh, heavens, no. You know, we don't, we don't feel the spirit of mm-hmm. God. We just, we just read a lot. Yeah. But I think like if you go to a non-denom church, you know, and maybe the music is, and people are yeah. waving and, you know, doing mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, like we don't, we don't do that here. Lord, no. Yeah. Oh. So I think, again, historically going back to why that is, uh, there was a, in Mar- Martin Luther, 500 years ago, the, the, the reformer, there was a group of people called the Zwickau prophets who said, we don't need the Bible because the Holy Spirit speaks to us directly. And Luther called them schwermerai or enthusiasts 
where they were just all caught up in their own emotions and enthusiasm. And so I think that's where that comes from, is that from then on, we have been very skeptical because of Luther's experience. And so there's been different groups, the Pietists in the 1800s that came up that really focused a lot more on emotion and feeling the Spirit, and that was a Lutheran movement um, that actually started a lot of things that we still do, like Sunday school and small groups actually came from the Pietists. But there was a really strong reaction to that, to not base your faith on an emotional experience. The problem is, yeah, I, I think God has given us our emotions, and whether this is specifically the Holy Spirit interjecting this moment or just a really good song that does engage our heart and our emotions, and God is using all that, um, I think that's not, I think that God has given us those things. We want our emotions to align with the truth. Um, the, 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 the way emotions go wrong is if, like, if I'm scared of a, a bear outside of this door, but the bear is not there, that's, a not, that's not good if our emotions don't match up with reality. But if we really do believe that God is present and he loves us and that he accepts us and we're singing about that and we have an emotional euphoric feeling about those things that we're thankful for who God is, we want our emotions to match up with reality. Uh, so I do think that's a, that's a good thing and it's more about testing the spirits. Is this spirit, this feeling I have right now actually line up with the truth if it does then yeah give into it and enjoy it and and let it let it let it happen um if it if it's if there's some dissonance between the truth and my feeling then i need to let my feel i want my feelings to match the truth does that help well i i don't think there's anything wrong there i think that i think it's it's hard for people to unite around the idea that like measuring your truth against feelings um that's really sterile Mm -hmm. compared to the holy spirit filled the room and i felt his presence and i like had a fire for jesus whatever yeah that's something that people want to hear people don't want to feel like oh i was really getting into the music and i thought maybe i should sway back and forth and yes that would be appropriate in this situation I mean, no one. I guess the yeah, people don't people, but but I also we've talked about this previously. I also people don't want to be manipulated, and I think sometimes that can be used to manipulate. Like we want to get a lot of people in this room. We want the music to be really loud. We want the fog machine to be really pumping out some smoke. You know, to artificially make people feel a certain emotion is it artificial Mm, well that i think that's what we're skeptical of sometimes music is artificial no i mean music artificially induces emotions well that's not necessarily artificial but if you're trying to design something well then i think just be honest like we are trying to we want you to have an emotional experience we want this to be Mm -hmm. a good emotional experience Mm -hmm. we're not trying to say that somehow we can force the holy spirit into your life um I do think there there can be a line there that we are. I think we want as much emotion as possible in the worship service. Uh, that 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 is a good thing because uh, I do think it aligns with the truth that God is here, that God is real. I think when it becomes manipulation is when we say, 
we are going to tweak all these things, and then we are going to say it's the Holy Spirit. Be- I don't know if we know that, but but it but we we haven't answered if it is or not. No, I don't think we have. But I I don't think the Holy Spirit is just confined to an emotional experience either. Uh, I I can have a peace that surpasses understanding taking the Lord's Supper, uh, visiting with a friend, reading the Bible on my own. And and so I I do think the Holy Spirit uses all those things uh, to have on my wall here the fruits of the Holy Spirit. When those things are evident, the Holy Spirit's at work. When I do have that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, I don't always... I can see evidence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this way in John chapter 3. He says, he compares the Spirit to the wind. The wind blows where it will. No one knows where it's coming from or where, where, where it goes. And so in many ways, I think that's the Spirit is very much like the wind. We don't know when it's at work, but we can see the leaves rustle. We can see evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so if people are filled with more love and joy and peace and patience, yes, the Holy Spirit is present. Um, when, but when is it being used for manipulation? I guess that's that's the concern. Uh, when is it naturally actually causing these kinds of, of changes in people's lives, that people are really coming to a real faith, and when they really do show true love and joy? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that... <laughs> We're like up there, you know, saying like, do you feel the spirit of God? Because you should, right. you know, there's something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith otherwise. Yeah. But I don't think that discounts the fact that if we're saying emotions are good and if emotions are true, yeah. then, then those, you know, then don't ignore those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think to say like, there's a line we cross if we have a smoke machine or something like that. Or that's what music is. If if you wanted someone to understand something, you could just read the Bible. Right. Music is emotional. It's art. Yes. It's a tool. Yes. And adding lights yeah. that flash and also making the room dark right. and adding smoke and all sorts right. of vocal effects and getting people to dance or whatever, that's all the same thing. Right. And you are artificially inducing emotion in people when you do that. You add more things to the music to strengthen that effect. But Mm -hmm. you're not, it's not like there's a line. Like God says that you should shout to the Lord. He doesn't say anything about smoke. So smoke is wrong. It's all the same thing. Right. I agree with that. I guess, but do you finally put your faith in that emotional experience? No. And and I guess that's the that's the kind of thing is if somebody is so convinced that that's God, that's the only time that God is really touching my heart or whatever, that, that emotions equal God. What happens when I don't have that experience? Or when you have the same worship experience, but whatever's not touching me and gripping me in the same way. And so I think uh we have to be careful to not equate an emotional experience like that is that's that has to be the Holy Spirit and that's the only way the Holy Spirit is working. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Um but the question is, you know, 
is it right for people to say, you know, I feel the Holy Spirit moving in me, you know, if, or, or you know, we could say like, I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit yeah. when we did that last song at Victory on Sunday, yeah. everyone was just into it. And I was, I was connecting with the words, whatever. Yeah. No, I don't think that's wrong. It's just a tool. Music is a tool. And we, that's why, you know, we choose songs that hopefully support the message, you yeah. know, because it's all like, it's, there's a psychological component, right? Yeah, like it just makes sense. And same yep. with lighting and fog or whatever, you right. know, it's all, it's all psychological to kind of mm-hmm. induce, which, you know, artificially or not, but. Well, even a, one of our older theologians, I think it was John P. Meyer, he said, we're both psychological and spiritual beings. To acknowledge that, like, God created both. It's not like God only created the spiritual part and then natural selection created the psychological part. God created both. Um, I guess what I don't, what I'm pushing back on is a a loss of control that I don't even realize this, but they're actually putting subliminal messages into this music to try to make me feel the Holy Spirit that I don't think I actually believe in, but I'm just, you know, to, to manipulate. If we're saying, honestly, yeah, we're going to use music and worship and emotive preaching and whatever it is, I'm going to engage the emotions in my worship service, in the sermon, in the music, in the lighting, all of that, um, because I believe it's true, and I want you to have the most emotionally engaging worship service possible. And I do believe the Holy Spirit's at work in all of that. Um, It's not just to get more people to have an emotional experience, but because I actually believe at the heart of it, it's actually true. Uh, I think it goes back to test the spirits. If there are, there are some people who will have the exact same emotional experience or talk about emotional experience at the Mormon tabernacle that has some, you know, really great music and, and, you know, all these kinds of things. And we would have, we would say, that's not the Holy Spirit. Or you go to a concert that's really good music and all of that, and you had a really emotional experience. We wouldn't necessarily say that's the Holy Spirit. Um, so if somebody says that they felt the Holy Spirit, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put, put a wet blanket on that. And I wouldn't want to damper that at all. But if they were using that, saying, I felt the Holy Spirit, and this is what I believe, and it went against Scripture, uh, I would I would test the Holy test the spirits on that one. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking it more in terms of it really feels like the Lutheran Church is throwing a wet blanket right. on that sort of talk. Correct. And is just really so cautious about it that it almost comes across as you don't really believe there's a Holy Spirit because sure. mm-hmm. you're yeah. too afraid to talk about what he does or where he is yeah. or when he comes out or whatever that is, you know, <laughs> when he comes out of hiding, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, it's just like we read the Bible, yeah. we study theology like bonkers. We go to church on Sunday, right. we sacraments, preach the word yeah. and yeah. we do the sacraments. The Holy Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, not not, not the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's and and they're too afraid to be to to even speak in those terms. Like, right. I feel the power of God, or the Spirit is moving. You're just like, right. nope, don't go there. I think it's an when you look at history, usually when it comes to theology, it's an overreaction to a problem. And how do you find the middle ground? 
So there are some people who manipulate the Benny Hins of the world. If you know who Benny Hinn is, he's like that's a, the guy. Is that guy who touches people yeah, and they, they like fall fly up. backwards yeah, and right. the Holy Spirit? Oh man! Yeah. So there have been some charismatic Good movements grief. that go the wrong way, and that was Luther's experience with these Schwermerai, these these Wiccal prophets. And then you swing to the other side, and even Luther said that you know we're like drunken men that fall off their donkey you know we get up on one side and we fall off on the other so we fall into one ditch or the other and the goal is to stay on the horse and so can you hold those two things in tension there is a really holy spirit he does use emotive experiences he is active can you let people be that way and then if things get out of hand where they're actually just manipulating this or they're they're saying things that are false can you draw a line there and say, well, that 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 can't be the Holy Spirit then, and that, you know, we don't believe it. But then we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yep. All right. So, uh, Annie, you already brought up one. Pastor Ben, question, or for both of you, when do you experience God? I've had some experiences. Uh, lots of times have been in prayer and nature and in m- more quiet times when I'm working through something, and I've sat with God and sat with an idea for a long time. And a lots of times, I I guess for me, there have been times where I haven't been necessarily looking for God to show up, and he shows up in ways or a teaching or an idea or a truth that grips me where I wasn't, I couldn't believe it. That, that didn't come from me. Um, so that, that those have been times. Um, I think worship is, especially when, it's responding. To, you know, sometimes people say this, Pastor, how'd you know I was dealing with that? And I always pray before I preach, you know, don't let me get in the way of the Holy Spirit, that I, I hope the Holy Spirit is using something that, without me even knowing it, to reach people. And that I've, I've been on the other end of that, where a pastor or a sermon or a song hit me in a way that I needed it in that moment. And so I think those have been things that that have uh, really engaged my heart, and I said that that had to be God. I think when you, but, but almost <laughs> if you try to force that, like I want a spiritual experience right now, I want God to show up right now in my life, uh, for me at least, my experience, it almost never happens. But just showing up to worship week after week, showing up to read my Bible day after day, walking with him day after day, that he responds in ways that I didn't didn't see coming and that those have been the experiences. Maybe I'm just more skeptical of things that I think I'm more involved in or more manipulating or whatever. I think for me, another example too is like I was struggling with some stuff and I kept reading the same like particular piece of the Bible and it was just like stuff just started making sense. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like I know where that was coming from. Yep. Like it was something I had read, you know, knew of a bunch of times, like just kept rereading it, rereading it, rereading it. And it was just like, whoa, yep. something just clicked. That's so. good. That's, I agree with that. That's really good. Was that recent? No, it was like 10 years ago. Okay. All right. How about you, Matt? Have you, could you say you've experienced God in those kinds of ways? Um. Let me think. <sighs> I really, I don't, uh, uh, it's so tough because mm-hmm. even I don't want to say that I experienced God because yeah. I don't, I don't want to make, but that you claim. make comments like sometimes when we, you know, like on a Sunday when the music's particularly like vibing and you're like, uh-huh. oh man, like 
that was good, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. kind of thing. Uh-huh. And um, I think if I had to pick, um, when I read that book by Richard Dawkins, yeah, I owe him, I owe him, a, I owe him a thank you, um, because I, when I was reading it, um, I like I barreled through the first couple of chapters. I mean, I just, yeah, you know, I couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. Um, and, and for anyone who didn't hear a previous episode or who doesn't know, um, the book, the God delusion is, is basically, um, an atheist's, uh, dismantling of all of the kind of typical arguments that people use to claim there's a God. And then he goes in and says, why actually Christianity is sort of a, a pox on all humanity. And, um, very flattering stuff. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I was reading it and I knew kind of what all the arguments were. Yeah. And in my head, I was just like, okay, but what about this? But what about this? And and he does, he, he kind of just destroys all of them. And it like, it really shook me for a couple of days. And then, and then, um, I don't remember if I woke, I think I woke up one morning and it all just, it all just sort of like cleared out of my head. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you didn't reason yourself into faith, how can somebody else reason you out of it? Mm. Because part of my faith had been based on reason. Mm-hmm. And I had to get rid of that. Mm. You know? Had been based on me wanting to be able to argue. Yeah. You know, which is probably just pride. Yeah. But I had to get rid of that. Yeah. And That's it was good. like, whoa. You know? <laughs> that good. like um so that that was one I could point to. Um and then, and these are just, cause these, I feel like God has a sense of humor. Yeah. Like for me, cause of course he would use that kind of book on me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the, the other one, which is actually kind of funny is a light bulb moment. Um, I've told a couple people this, it was like two, maybe like two years ago or something. Oh, not, not super, not super recent, but. Um, I, I was like really like struggling with like a lot of things on my mind. I was going for a walk and I had, I had like, I had, I know I had a lot of guilt about something and I was like trying to make sense of it, which is weird because as a Christian, that's like 101 (laughs) is you're supposed to know that you're saved by grace. Um, and it was, I was just kind of like wrestling a lot with like, okay, how do I feel so bad, Mm -hmm. but I'm supposed to be Christian. I'm supposed to be free of all this, but it is not going away for me. I've been struggling with stuff for years. How is this even possible? You know, it makes you feel worse then too. It's like, right. Yeah. It was cause I was like, this is, this is who I am. Like I'm tied to all these things that I do because you are what you do. You think you say, and that's what makes you what you are. But how can you be free from all that? You're not the same person. You know, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. figure it out. And I I I was walking around. I went to this park and I was just sitting on this bench. It was like midnight or 1130 or something. And um, I remember like I said, I said, the, I, I said, that's not who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. But I never thought, I never thought that, which was weird. Yeah. I never thought that. I literally was just thinking to myself and I said those words out loud. Mm. Yeah. I didn't say anything else. I hadn't been speaking. Yeah. And there was nobody around. You weren't There's talking no to anybody. no one else around. And I didn't, I didn't think the words before I said them. They just yeah. kind of came out mm. of my mouth. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. 
which again, super basic, like super basic, but it's just like, I, I, I understood it more. Yeah. That's great. And as soon as I said that, the, the light post in the park lit up. Light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Literally. Literally. That's fun. And I like looked up and I was like, uh, nah, got him. See ya. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it was just weird. I've never had that before, That's so good. which I mean, I always, I always speak before I think, but not like that, <laughs> you know? And so I don't know. I, I think that's, that's one. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I had experience, you know, I, you, you, like you said, you almost don't want to say it because you don't, you don't want to take the like power of it. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to like, <laughs> like if you say it, did it really, but I remember I was struggling with something in Florida really bad and there's just all sorts of things that I didn't know. Like, was God with me? Is this? And it was so weird. I've never seen this before. Never. Saw, and someone will probably tell me, "Well, that's just that's naturally something." But like, a white dove came and rested on our house, and I'm like, "What in the world is mm-hmm. a a this beautiful big white dove? Like, right as I'm working, like, is God with me? Is He with our family? Uh, we are." kind of, you know, working through things that the family was really divided. Emily was going to a ministry way. She's driving 45 hour, basically t- twice a day with our little babies. And we felt so disjointed at work. And, you know, that was creating kind of, I was in one involved in one ministry. She was involved in another ministry. Our lives were so divided. I was like, is God with our family? Is this, how is this going to work out? Is, is God here? And have that, I mean, like, again, that's kind of that's what I mean by the Holy Spirit. You know, that a dove rested on Jesus at his baptism, and God said that was the Holy Spirit. That, and so you're a little reluctant to say this feeling I had during that worship song that is the Holy Spirit, and I'm re- really reluctant to say like this physical manifestation of this dove coming on my house, or you know, or the light bulb coming on. But it's kind of like test the spirits. Does it tell the truth? Well, it whether well, it told the truth. God was with us, and there was a peace there. So, I guess that that's kind of the how I dealt with some of those things. But there's yeah. been experiences like that where you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it does seem hard to explain these to other people. Which I mean, maybe they're sort of meant for if if they're from God. Let's say if God is actually working some kind of miracle or is intervening. Yeah, I, I mean, it it feels like maybe he, he sort of personalizes that for mm-hmm. you, and it's not meant to be like. I think once you start saying like, I had this vision or I had this experience from God, listen to me, then I think it starts, you know, then you're using something for uh, your own kind of personal benefit. And you go on tour and you tell everybody about it over and over again. You push them over on the floor and (laughs) take all their money. (laughs) Yes. That's the goal. So it is. If it can be helpful to people in those moments that God is there, that he's, you know, that you're not alone, but it seems like God very often i need to see this movie i don't did you guys ever seen the movie silence no. uh it 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 was um it's a movie about missionaries that went to japan back i think in the 1800s and it's based off of a book and there was heavy persecution and it was wrestling with this decision you know, this idea that where is god when he's silent because the more they followed god the more their lives were miserable and some people finally gave up on their faith, and some people, I mean, in the movie they talk, they, they, they crucified Christians out in the ocean, and when the tide rose, they drowned. And 
the whole the movie's called Silence because is God really there when He doesn't respond to your prayers? He doesn't do a miracle. He doesn't stop. And so that's, I think that's a challenge, is that sometimes God does seem to show up in these incredible ways and speak to ways that that we get through things. And sometimes there's silence, and can you still believe God when he doesn't show up in a manifestation? Right? But it seems like why wouldn't he, particularly if you're at like a really low point, which it sounds like, you know, when you're really struggling and, mm-hmm. and really at a really low point, why wouldn't he just send a dove or have this, mm-hmm. you know, light bulb come on? Or And it seems like that is how God usually reveals himself, not taking away the problem but helping you endure. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be his normal way that he helps people is in endurance. Yeah. So I, I just think that I just think that we're we're more scared of that than we should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think obviously it would be good to pray more, but I think we should use more maybe religious rhetoric than we do. And just say, like, if my spirituality comes from God, if my emotions come from God, my thoughts, and obviously my whole body, my whole life, don't act like he's not there. Right. You know? That's good. And people, you know, people often say, like, I feel like God was allowing us to move, or God was allowing me at this point, this season of my life to take this new job or something. Or endure hardship. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and sometimes we don't have a problem with that, but, I mean, if... Don't be af- I just like don't be afraid to 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 say what say he's around. I mean he is. Right. And he is using these things. Obviously be careful and don't but we're I I feel like we're just very afraid to to call on the name of God for anything. So we'd be like don't bo- we don't want to bother you. Right. You know. <laughs> right. It's like hello. That's <laughs> right. Simple, right. And then you come to the because you're so afraid to invoke God in his name, in anything. You have lifelong Christians who don't know how to pray. They don't know mm-hmm. how to talk about their faith. They don't want to mm-hmm. engage because, or even engage in a mode of singing. Mm-hmm. They don't want to engage their emotions because they've been told to be aware of, be wary of that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I think you're, you're making a good, uh, that's a good encouragement, Matt, uh, to not be afraid of God and not be afraid of, of how he might be at work in your life. And, and don't, um, compartmentalize like oh sunday we go to church and then like we have prayer time like make your whole life about it like great it's Mm -hmm. it's all over that's great you know that's wonderful thank you yeah are we uh we good on that enjoy the shortening of days for the rest of the (laughs) year until it becomes cold again oh man just yeah just enjoy it If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.